Hi guys, Sema again with Crime Stories Obsessed and today we're going to go over the Lindsay Hawker case. Lindsay was a 22 year old who went over to Japan in order to do some teaching in a gap year and never returned. So we're going to go over that. Lindsay was, like I say, a 22 year old born on in 1984 to um, Bill and Julia Hawker and they were from Brandon in Warwickshire. It's a small village uh, just outside of Coventry and she grew up there. She went to school at King Henry VIII in Coventry and she was apparently a good student, worked very hard. Her parents were very proud of her. I think she had two um, other sisters and uh, she had aspirations one day to become a GP. Um, she was doing so well at school she was going to go off to university and she had a really loving boyfriend called Ryan. Apparently she was a natural beauty, very um, quite tall, uh, I think she was like 5 foot 10, very tall, long dark brown hair, never wore makeup, very natural, um, never dyed her hair and was just very naturally pretty. And, um, you know, her dad would often say, you know, just be careful because he could see how pretty she was. And as soon as she walked into a room, everybody would like turn their heads to look at her. And so he was obviously very um, aware of this and, and tried to stress on her, you know, just to be very careful whether she was out with her friends or, or whatever, wherever she was going. So she had quite a lot of uh, things to look forward to in her life. And... Um, she was very close to her family. She, she worked very hard and when she left school, she wanted to go to the University of Leeds in Yorkshire and that was to study biology. And she achieved a first class honours degree in 2006. And um, she wanted to do, go on to do a master's degree but decided to have a year out of teaching in Japan. Because I mean, if you think about it, she's done all this studying all the way through primary school, high school, you know, A-levels, going to university. And she'd obviously worked very hard if she's got herself a first class honours degree. So having a year out, she, she just wanted to go and, um, and, and, work, and just work over there, teach a little bit of English as like a side job have some time to herself, meet new people. She wanted to try out all the different cultures, all the, go to all the different places. And uh, she'd always had a fascination with Japanese culture and she was quite knowledgeable about its distinctive codes of behavior. Um, and so she was meant to go out to, I think it was in October 2006, uh, that she traveled out to Japan um, and it was one of the largest private schools over there that they had. It was like quite prestigious and she, she you know, she was going to go and work over there. I think the school was called Nova. And initially when she got over there, um, I don't think she was very happy with the place she was staying at. Um, I think she'd realised soon after she moved in that the people that she was living around were not the nicest and obviously when you're moving over to a completely different country you don't know where the best areas are to be where where not to live and um whether not having anybody over there to sort of give her any idea she moved out there and she was being called gaijing on the streets which i think it's like a derogatory term a derogatory japanese word for foreigner and people were kind of spitting and shouting in her direction and 
she didn't feel very safe. So after meeting some of the girls from the university, I think there were other teachers, she decided she was going to move in with, with some of those. And she moved in with two of these, uh, two other these to other teachers. I think her father felt a lot happier about that, that she wasn't on her own. And when her family visited for her for her 22nd birthday, just um, months before this all occurred, I think her dad had said to her, you know, he was worried and please be careful, keep your head down on the train, don't, you know, just read a book, don't attract any unwanted attention. So she moved into this nicer area and she'd often say to her dad on the phone, you know, don't freak dad, it's just crazy Japan, everybody knows I'm an English teacher and everybody's fine, this is my community now. Anyway, on the 20th of March uh, 2007, I think this will be, she got off the train and she got onto her bike. I think she she probably noticed this guy looking at her. She'd been on the train, but she kept her head down in her book. And as she got off, she was looking for her for her bike. And this um, Japanese guy came over to her and he started trying to make conversation. And he was saying, you know, are you my are you my English teacher? And she said, no, no. She said, and he said, but you are an English teacher, right? And she said, yes, yes. And then she quickly cycled away. I think she was probably thinking, oh my God, you know, I really don't want to get into any conversation with you. You're probably lovely, but I have no idea who you are. So off she cycled back to her apartment where the other two friends were that she was living with. And um, she told Ryan in an email, because she was in contact with her family and her her boyfriend quite a lot. And she was saying to him, you know, that um, she told him about running into him. But she kind of made out that she felt a bit sorry for him, really rather than anything she didn't feel scared um but this guy he just didn't want to take no for an answer and so he followed her he was very good at athletics and running and cycling and he was very very fit and he ran all the way after her all the way back to her apartment well of course whilst when he got there it was a bit warm i suppose it's quite warm in in tokyo and so he asked her you know can i have a drink can i have some water and kind of rather reckless, but she did invite him in. I think she could see that her two flatmates were there. And he was chatting her up, was trying to ask her out, and she, she was just not having any of it. And she was kind of saying, no, you know, she probably told him, I've got a boyfriend. And uh, he was just trying to impress her, and, and it just wasn't working. So he'd had his water. So I think she, he realised it was kind of time to go. And so he asked her if he could have a pen and, and some paper. And he stood there and drew a picture of Lindsay on this bit of paper. And um, he'd put his name, telephone number and email address on this bit of paper. And when she emailed Ryan later, she'd said, you know, I wasn't scared. I kind of found it more ridiculous. I kind of felt sorry for him more than anything. And she was just such a caring person. And, you know... I think he'd, he'd asked her before he'd left if he could have an, an English lesson and um, I think she kind of said no but he'd left this bit of paper and, and afterwards she thought well you know if as long as I meet him somewhere in public I don't see any reason why I can't give him this English lesson so she contacted him and they arranged to meet at this cafe on the Sunday morning uh, or Sunday lunchtime now the school the private school where Lindsay had worked at had basically said you know you are allowed to give private lessons out and she had done before but so long as she told them there was like a couple of rules you know as long as you tell us where you're going who with what time and as long as it's somewhere public 
So the lesson was arranged in this cafe and uh, CCTV caught them both in the cafe that day, um, just as they were leaving, I think. Um, it was a very bad day. It was really, really rainy over there. The, the rain was coming down very, very heavily. And they had this lesson in the cafe. And I think that night she was due to go to a party with her friends. Anyway, Ishanashi had realised after this lesson that he didn't have the money. Whether this was planned, not quite sure. Um, but he didn't have the money to give her for this lesson. So he said, you know, it's raining outside. Well, let's get this taxi. We'll go past my apartment. I'll go get you the money and then you can go home in the taxi. And she said, yeah, you know, that's fine. None of them wanted to walk. And so they, they left the cafe and got in this taxi. And she obviously felt a little bit so more re relaxed with him after spending like an hour with him or whatever it was that they were in this cafe for. And when they arrived at the apartment, um, the taxi driver waited because um, she'd said, oh, I'm going to get out. I'm going to go in with him, but I'll be back. I'm just going to collect this money. Now, they have kind of a thing over in, in Tokyo where, you know, the driver will wait seven minutes. And if you're not back in seven minutes, then they will go on their next job. Now, obviously, this taxi driver had no idea what was going to happen. He probably felt absolutely terrible when he realised why she'd not come back to this taxi. Why she actually went into his apartment when she didn't know him, we don't know. You don't know what was going on. I think the family afterwards had seen the CCTV, CC, I can never say this right, CCTV footage of her outside getting out of the taxi with the Shinashi and going into his apartment building. And the family said that it just didn't look like my girl. She looked like a zombie the way she was walking and she almost looked like she'd been drugged. But there were no traces of any drugs in her system. So that was it and nothing else was heard of Lindsay and at 2.30 on the 26th, I think it was two days after, she'd, she'd not arrived at work so the people at work, um, at the university had contacted the police, they'd contacted one police station and then the people that she lived with, the two flatmates, they also contacted the police station but this was another police station and they'd uh, confirmed that she, she was missing, she'd not come back, it was very unlike her and you know could they look into this and um, the flatmates found this bit of paper uh, with Ishinashi's um, details on um, on this drawing that he'd drawn um, of, of Lindsay and so they handed that into the police but for some reason these two police stations didn't contact each other so neither they didn't pass the message on so there was a bit of a delay in them actually coming out they didn't seem in any sort of hurry initially so they got the message at 2 30 at 3 10 um they sent two officers out um Oh no, they sent two officers out at 5.40 and they started looking into his previous history of convictions and he did have um, some convictions for theft and he'd assaulted a woman and robbed her. Um, now I don't know what had gone on with that case but for some reason over in Japan he seemed to be able to pay out of court and settle these things and you know it's just sorted and you don't 
end up getting convicted properly of it which all seems a bit strange to me but this is Japanese law and I don't know anything about Japanese law so the officers actually arrived um, on the Monday at 7pm which is 10am English time well Bill and Julia's parents had been told by probably the flatmates at this point that she was missing and they were just completely distraught and in total, I think nine officers were dispatched when they worked out that it was a criminal because they were suspecting either kidnapping, some sort of hostage situation. And a bit frustrating, none of these police officers actually had walkie-talkies, so they couldn't talk to each other, but we'll get into that in a little bit. When they arrived at Ishinashi's apartment building, his lights were all off, but someone appeared to be inside, and when they knocked on the door very hard, he would not answer. So they went to the neighbours' houses and they asked, you know, have you seen a foreign girl around here? But all of them said no. So they went onto the neighbours' balcony so that they could have a look across to see if they could see anything in Ishinashi's apartment from the balcony side. And it was very dark, um, it had been a bad day, you know, it was raining, but all they could see was a bath on his balcony. Now over there, the baths are not like they are in England and in the USA, the baths are not plumbed in, stuck to walls, attached to pipes. It was easy enough for him to drag this bath onto the balcony, but why? We'll get into that in a little while. So, um, little did they know that Lindsay was actually inside this bath with her arm hanging over the edge but the police could not see this. They could not see across because it was so dark. And they could not enter his apartment. They could not obtain a key. He wasn't answering the door. But at 9.45pm, two hours after the officers had assembled, the door opened and Ishinashi just walked out. He came out barefoot, which is fairly normal because they generally put their shoes on outside the door with a rucksack rucksack over his shoulder and he just went to walk away and the police said excuse me we just need to you know speak to you about Lindsay she's missing can we just talk to you a minute so he kind of made it look like he was about to go back in the flat and offered them in and they kind of went in and then he ran and they grasped at his rucksack managed to pull his rucksack off and he just ran for it well I think a couple of the officers gave chase um and he ran down all the steps, jumped the bottom balcony of steps, um, and just ran. Now, getting back to the walkie-talkie situation, because there was no walkie-talkies, the police officers at the top of the stairs could not contact the police officers at the bottom of the stairs to explain that he was on his way down. They could have been waiting for him, and obviously the family were very annoyed when they realised that the police had allowed this guy just to walk out of the door and run off now I mean I suppose at this point they didn't know what he what he'd actually done if he'd if he'd actually done anything or whether or not Lindsay had gone missing after she'd been with him so they didn't really have anything to arrest him on at this point so it was just a case of questioning him questioning him so at this point the police officers that were upstairs went into the apartment and they found Lindsay in the bath on the balcony She'd been bound with plastic ties, gagged with scarves, and every inch of her body had marks, bruising, even her feet. Now, she had learnt some martial arts, but she just was no match. 
coach for Ishidashi who had done um, his own martial arts training and had, you know, accomplished a black belt standing there. Um, there was collisions with furniture. There was a lot of furniture that seemed to be overturned. There wasn't much furniture in there, but the furniture that there was seemed to be overturned almost like there'd been some kind of fight. She was in the bath, which was covered with kind of... She was sat in like a sand compost soil, um, which is used to compact waste and chemical. The idea was to probably get her body to compost in this bath with the chemicals and the um, comp- compost uh, soil. There was CCTV, CCTV, here we go again, CCTV of him going backwards and forwards with a trolley to the hardware store that day with mountains of this soil and sand. And so the the floor was just covered with empty pomegranate juice cartons everywhere. There was thousands of manga comics, which I think are quite violent comics. Getting back to Lindsay, he'd cut her hair off and he'd put this in a bag, in a plastic bag. Whether this was the idea of, you know, I'm expecting this body to compost and her hair is not going to rot, so we'll cut this off and get rid of that, possibly. He'd strangled, he'd broken the neck, broken a bone in her neck and she she just died of her horrific injuries. Now, while all this was going on, one of the friends that were on scene must have heard from the police that a body had been found at this point. And so she contacted her dad in England and said, you know, dad, they've found a body. And so this father then contacted Bill and told him, prepare yourself, a body's been found. I mean, how horrific must that be to find out third hand that a body's been found and your daughter's missing and the last person she was with was this guy where the body's been found. I mean, that just must have been horrendous. Now, we'll just talk about Ishinashi for a little hot minute. Ishinashi was born in 1979 in East Tokyo. He's 28, fit, tall, black belt in his own martial arts and went to the gym literally every day. He had initially gone to a medical school. His dad was a neurosurgeon, his mother a dentist, so he'd obviously had quite a good upbringing and the, the apartment that he was living in actually was their family home at some point earlier on. Um, and he'd gone to medical school but for whatever reason he had been kicked out of medical school whether it was due to grades or whether it was due to something he did that's not actually documented but um, he left and he decided he was going to study horticulture instead of getting a job you know he decided to go and study horticulture at uni in uh, Chiba in 2005. He had a Japanese girlfriend of 12 months and apparently she stated that this was a normal relationship She'd never thought anything unusual. Um, And friends basically said he was quite a solitary character. He only had a few friends. His family would support him every month with £600, which is like $760 a month from his parents. He never needed to get a job when he left school. He was just basically being 
looked after by his parents the whole time. And I mean, God knows what he spent all this money on because he was living in this family accommodation which probably didn't cost him anything. He cycled 25 kilometers a day, so he didn't have a car. So apart from pomegranate juice, I don't, and manga comics, I can't really see what he was spending all that money on, but anyway. So, um, he'd been out that day and he'd been seen on CCTV going um, six times back and forwards to this hardware store, to the apartment, um, to to bring back all this uh, compost. Now that night he was meant to meet his girlfriend, but I think he'd sent her an email saying, I've got something to sort out, um, so don't come round. And she'd basically said, okay. In the apartment they found, the police found lots of other drawings, lots of other sketches of all these different women um, that he'd drawn. Some were Japanese, some were English. And I mean, that obviously didn't work out very well because he, didn't pass them on to these people. Um, so, the Japanese press settled outside Ishinashi's apartment waiting for anything that they could, you know, catch on camera, whether it be the parents arriving and looking distressed and sad, anything that they could make money from, any photos they could get of them bringing the body out, anything that the media just wanted to to try and document but he was on the run he'd gone and he'd fled now they chased him through the streets but because he ran 25 kilometers a day and he was so athletic he'd just gone now i don't know if you know um japan tokyo very well but it has a lot of very narrow side streets and alleyways and it's very easy to lose someone there and when they did chase him he zigzagged across the street to try and get rid of them and then he was gone and he was gone for like two years he left without a passport but still police sifted through 350,000 out of the 700,000 passport applications that came in in Japan since he'd run in order to you know see if he'd maybe applied for a new passport they went to the, the apparently pomegranate juice that they found all the cartons all over the floor in his apartment. Now this is a very unusual drink in Japan and there aren't many stockists. So they went to different retailers and asked them, you know, if they had anybody in that had bought this pomegranate juice. I'm sure he was miles away by it at this point. And they looked at 5,200 reported sightings mainly leads from the 30,000 unwanted posters that they'd put up. Convinced he was still in Japan and maybe sheltered by friends or family due to the fact that he didn't have any money with him. At one point on the, I think, it, I'm not quite sure what date it was, but 20 police officers raided a hotel chateau at Love in the uh, Nishi station, East Tokyo, because they'd had a sighting that he might be there. But that did not bring anything up. And family found out, like I say, when one of the fathers contacted them and they prayed in, you know, they had prayed in vain um, that, that they would be able to catch Ishinashi. But 20 months later, family was still reeling 
knowing that the police had let this guy slip through their fingers and he had still not been found. They were not getting justice for their daughter and they were just mortified. Now, I think at some point the police organised, whether the family paid for this or whether the police in Tokyo paid for it, but they had some almost life-size cut cardboard cutouts of Ishinashi and they had these in every bus stop and train station and airport and some of the big superstores, shops and they were just hoping that this would bring new leads and they were really pushing the fact, you know, this guy's got two moles on the side of his face and, you know, his height being, I think he was like six foot one and this did not bring any leads either. During this time while he was on the run, Ishinashi was making money by working on building sites, building houses, well probably not actually building the houses, probably more like carrying the bricks and things. Um, and he was he managed to save up £12,000 and he was that convinced that he was going to get caught that he actually went to a plastic surgeon. He asked for the two moles removing from the side of his cheek. He had folds put in his eyelids. He had his lips thinned out. He had his cheekbones raised. And if you actually saw a photo, it'd be interesting if you just go on Google and you tap him in, Ishinashi, you'll find the two pictures of him, the before and after, are so different that you can understand why people were not coming forward and saying that they'd seen him because he just did not look like the person he had done before. Now, at one point, one of the um, cosmetic surgeons that were doing this for him had recognised him from the unwanted poster when she realised that she'd been the one that had removed these moles and done this plastic surgery for him. And so on arranging an appointment for him to come in, she told the police officers where he was going to be and at what time. And it was at that point they arrested Ishinashi for the murder of Lindsay Hawker. Ishinashi was in court and eventually... Um, I think he pleaded not guilty at first um, and when he realised that wasn't getting him anywhere he did plead guilty but only to um, to kind of manslaughter he said that he'd raped her he said he'd raped her and he'd put the pillow over her face to stop her screaming and he'd then put ties around her feet and he'd gagged her with scarves and put her in the in the um, bath to basically try and compost her body because he couldn't walk through the town it's such a busy place is Tokyo with a body it's not as easy to get rid of so he was um, he was charged with murder and convicted of murder and the family were looking for the death penalty for Ishinashi but unfortunately they have a lay justice system over in Tokyo and apparently unless you have committed like more than one murder and you have really quite severe previous convictions he just didn't fit the category so he managed to get out of that but he was convicted for life um, for a life sentence 
I can't remember how many years it was, but I think it might have been 20 or 28, 20 something years. But they did turn around and say, you know, we can't give him the death penalty. We're hoping with him being the age that he is, that eventually at some point he might be able to be rehabilitated. I think the family were just pleased that they had got some justice for Lindsay at this point. And, you know, if, if you're going to go and travel abroad, you're going to go somewhere on your own, which is really um, dangerous. I did go traveling around the world on my own. My dad also did go crazy. And I did have a couple of situations that were pretty scary where I couldn't get um, this man out of my room one night who had come in to fix my um, my. Uh, what was it air conditioning unit or something and I just literally couldn't get him out of the room and I had to ring reception and get security to come and remove him from the room and you know you are putting yourself in harm's way sometimes but I think you just got to go with your gut and just if something doesn't feel right don't go into somebody's apartment if you don't know them don't always assume you know them when you don't and if you're going to travel just always be aware of who's around you and don't draw attention to yourself like Lindsay's dad said keep your head down do your own thing and just go with your gut instinct well thank you for listening to this podcast today that was the case of Lindsay Hawk it's a true crime that occurred over in Japan in Tokyo I will be with you again soon with a new case thank you for listening guys bye bye